There's a very interesting Gemara that tells us that with regards to Sukkot, it says Rishon twice by Yom Arishon Mikrakodesh about the Yom Tov, about Lulav and Esra again. Therefore, in honor of keeping the Yom Tov of Sukkot, we'll be Zochet to the Beis Hamikdash. In honor of taking the Dalit Minim, we'll be Zochet to Moshiach. The Marashal says the reason is because the Beis Hamikdash is compared to a Sukkah, and because Moshiach will bring Simcha, which immediately raises a question. In that case, it shouldn't say in the merit of the Yom Tov, it should say in the merit of the Sukkah, we get the Beis Hamikdash. And instead of saying in the merit of the Dalit Minim, it should say in the merit of the Simcha. That's why we should get Moshiach. And so what we're going to do is analyze the nature of both the Sukkah and the Lulav and realize that both of them impact the physical in a very unique way, but in two different ways. And effectively it emerges that the Sukkah indicates this concept of Achtos Hashem in a very broad and powerful sense, whereas the Lulav and Esrog represents Achtos Hashem as it embeds into the world itself. And that will help us to understand why it is that there's an association between the Beis HaMikdash and the Yom Tov, the timing which is impacted by Sukkot, and Moshiach and the Lulav and Esrog, rather than the Simcha itself. So, in regards to the mitzvah of Sukkot, the parasha, or the, the holiday of Sukkot, the parasha uses the word Rishon, by Yom Rishon twice. The first is, by Yom Rishon, then the first day it's a Yom Tov, and you don't do work. And the second is that on the first day you take the four species. Because of these two things called Rishon, namely the fact that you have a day of rest on the first day of Sukkot, which is and the fact that you take the Lulav and Esrek, which is through those two things, we will earn the building of the Beis HaMikdash and Moshiach's name, which in itself is also interesting why his name. Both of, both of these are also referred to in the Torah with the word Rishon, so it's a link, Rishon, Rishon. We see that the Beis HaMikdash is considered Hashem's throne that was elevated right from the beginning of time to be our place of holiness. That's the base Hamikdash. Rishon Etzion Hinom, and as Yeshayahu Hanavi says, that Moshiach is look, behold, here he comes, the one who is the first for Zion. So base Hamikdash and Moshiach are each associated with Rishon, Sukkot and Lulav also associated with Rishon. So that's the connection. explains. Why do we have Sukkot in the first place? Because the Torah tells us, that when we left Mitzrayim, Hashem put us into Sukkot, which also refers to the Anani HaKovet, as we'll see a little bit later. So by us, spending time in the Sukkot, we'll deserve, we'll earn ourselves the Beis HaMikdash, because the Beis HaMikdash is compared to like this perfect Sukkot of Hashem. So what's the connection? We were in Sukkot in the desert, and the Beis HaMikdash is called a Sukkot. What's the connection to the four minim? The connection between Mashiach and the four minim is that the four minim are associated with Simcha, like the Pasuk says, you should take these species and then you should celebrate with Hashem. And therefore, we'll, through that, earn the great Simcha that will happen at the time of Mashiach. Ah, you'll ask a question. So why does it say, Dafka that will earn Mashiach's name? 
Marisha explains why do we call it Shmoisha Mashiach? Because Mashiach's name already alludes to what the great Simcha of the Messianic era is about. Because Mashiach's name is Menachem, which indicates consolation and comfort, and he'll bring us Simcha, which will be relative to the amount of suffering that we've been through, as David Amelech says in Tehillim. So that's the connection. The sukkah is a metaphor for the Beis HaMikdash. That's the connection. And Simcha is associated with Mashiach. Now, when you look at that Gemara, the Gemara made it very clear that the connection is based on the word Rishon, which makes us wonder as follows. When you consider that the proof as the Mashiach showed that there's a connection between the Beis HaMikdash and Sukkot is because the Beis HaMikdash is called, so to speak, the perfect Sukkot. So then logically, should it not have then been that which mitzvah do we do in order to deserve the Beis HaMikdash? The mitzvah of Sukkot. That you should be in the Sukkot, which will then impact the entire week of Sukkot doesn't seem to be logical that it's because we rest on the first day of Sukkot, therefore we'll deserve the Beis HaMikdash. That's in addition to the fact that there's a unique mitzvah we had to be in the Sukkah, which represents the Beis HaMikdash. And it's a mitzvah that only really applies on the first day, as opposed to the mitzvah of Sukkah that applies to the whole week. So that's strange, right? Don't you think it would have made more sense? Why do we get the Beis HaMikdash? Because we sit in a Sukkah for seven days. Why does it say Shvisa which is only for one day? Question two, same lines. The same thing applies when you analyze the idea of earning the name of Mashiach. Why do we say, you're going to earn the coming of Mashiach, which is a time of great simcha? How? By taking the Lulav and Esrik. The Lulav and Esrik only has a limited connection to Simcha. Would it not have been more logical to say, you'll celebrate the mitzvah of Simcha on Sukkot, and through that you will earn the great Simcha of Mashiach? It doesn't seem to add up. The only way to answer it is, we have to analyze what a Sukkah represents and what a Lulav and Esrik represents. Once we understand it differently, we'll be able to appreciate the answer to these questions. So, Babir Bozer... The explanation is that we're going to find there's a common theme to both the sukkah and the lulav, and yet in spite of the common theme, they each represent a theme in very different ways. In fact, there's two common themes, actually, we'll see. First thing we're going to notice, specifically about a sukkah, is that a sukkah impacts the physical world in a different way to other mitzvahs. Specifically, aschachvat fornois, the schach you use for the roof, and of course the walls of the sukkah, Shabayim Naisa Mitzvah, which you use in order to fulfill the mitzvah. So let's understand what's unique about a sukkah. In order to understand that, let's first look generally how do all mitzvahs impact the physical world, and then detect what's unique about a sukkah. Any time a person does a mitzvah, which always requires some kind of physical elements. You do a mitzvah with a physical item, you refine and elevate that physical item to a different spiritual status. In fact, even after the mitzvah is over, that physical item is now 
irrevocably changed and now has the content, the value of a mitzvah item. So you finish blowing the shofar, you put it down. Everybody looks, it's a shofar, it was used for a mitzvah. It has to be treated with a certain respect. Here's another example. Chagoyim by mitzvah tzitzis. Let's say the mitzvah of tzitzis. And it calls manshat tzitzis kavoyz betalas. As long as the tzitzis strings are attached to the talas garment. You are never allowed to use those strings for any personal use because it would be degrading to the mitzvah. So you can't use them, for example, as a, a measurement. You know, you, you, I know my string is X amount of length, so I'm going to now use it to measure how long a, something else is. In fact, there are many people who say, even after those strings would come off the tzitzis, you have to treat them with respect. That's why people put them in a safer or maybe even bury them or whatever the case might be. So what do you see is that a mitzvah changes the spiritual status of the physical item that is used for the mitzvah. But, let's stick with the tzitzis example. So those fringes, even while they're still attached to the talus garment, they fall into a category which is called mitzvah items as opposed to holy items. So a Torah scroll is a holy item. It has to be treated with the utmost respect. And if it's no longer usable, it has to be buried for sure. Whereas tzitzit strings do not have to be buried because while they service a mitzvah, they don't actually become intrinsically holy. Technically, the only reason we don't use tzitzit strings for personal use is because it would be degrading to the mitzvah. But the strings themselves don't have an element of holiness associated with them. So what does the average mitzvah do? It takes a physical item and elevates it so it's no longer ordinary. It is now considered holy. Well, it's considered a mitzvah item, but not absolutely holy to the point that you cannot mistreat it at all. Now let's look at how a sukkah works. The minute you spend time in a sukkah, then the halacha is that the schach on top is now considered holy during the festival. Not just a mitzvah item, but a holy item. In fact, the rabbis even said the walls of the sukkah are considered holy during the holiday. And here's the expression that the Gemara uses. Just like the, the Chagiga offering which you had to bring on Yom Tov is considered a sacrifice that is wholly dedicated to Hashem. So likewise, just as Hashem's name rests on an animal dedicated to a sacrifice, so Hashem's name rests on the sukkah. And therefore, we have a practical halachic take-home, which is, Because of the holiness associated with the sukkah, you are not permitted to use any item of the sukkah walls or roof for personal use during the course of the, of the holiday, not because you would be insulting the mitzvah, but because they are considered holy. So what you see is that a sukkah impacts the physical world in a unique way that most mitzvahs don't. Now, technically, even though a sukkah will still qualify in objects of mitzvah rather than objects of holiness. So the sukkah is not like a Torah scroll. That you'll only see. That will only have a practical application once the holiday is over. Now you don't have to go bury your, your schach leaves. Now they have been absolved, so to speak, of their holy status. 
then you're allowed to use the schach leaves. Just that ideally you shouldn't use them in any kind of a degrading way because they have previously been associated with a mitzvah. The point that we're emphasizing is that for those seven days of sukkahs, those sukkah walls, and certainly that schach, is absolutely considered holy, which means that the impact of the mitzvah on the physical is greater than most mitzvahs. So you're going to see this in the actual physical nature of the sukkah. Any mitzvah object, the shofar is not a mitzvah. Hearing the shofar is a mitzvah. So the shofar is an instrument to permit you, to give you the opportunity to do a mitzvah. The tzitzis string is not a mitzvah. Wearing tzitzis on your four-cornered garment is the mitzvah. So the tzitzis strings facilitate the mitzvah. But they're not fundamentally holy. Yet with the sukkah, during the week of sukkahs, the sukkah takes on the status of holiness. As the Gemara said, there is the name of Hashem attributed to the sukkah as it would be to a sacrifice. So what do we see? A sukkah has a unique impact on the physical world, transforming the physical world in a way that just about no other mitzvah does. Now that theme will also identify with the Lulav and We'll find a similar theme with regards to the four species. We will we'll notice that there's a connection between the four species and their mitzvah, which is greater and more profound and more pronounced than the connection between any ordinary material and their mitzvah. Let's understand firstly where we're going with this. Usually, you think of it, look, here's an item, it's an ordinary item, now I do a mitzvah, and it gets upgraded. That we've already discussed. The truth is that there's a deeper layer to this conversation. The very fact that this material is suited to a mitzvah, even before it's been used as a mitzvah, even before it has been specifically allocated for the mitzvah. So you've got wool. The fact that wool could potentially be turned into tzitzis. The very fact that this is a material which could be be used for a mitzvah. For example, the fact that wool is desic, could be designated to be put as tzitzis, that already is moire. That tells you that there's something about this material which places us at a higher spiritual level than all other materials, including permitted materials. This could become a mitzvah. So let's say polyester. Well, there's nothing wrong with polyester. It's not trafe. But it cannot be designated as a mitzvah. You cannot use it for tzitzit strings. There is no mitzvah that, that is designed for polyester. The fact that wool could be transformed into a mitzvah tells you that even before the mitzvah happens, it is a, a unique category of physical item, something spiritually susceptible. 
Now, what we're going to learn is that when it comes to the four species of sukkahs, they have an even greater preparedness to be used for a mitzvah than any other material. What we're going to see is that the preparedness of these four species to be used for the mitzvah is more clear, it's more revealed than in any other material. So, what's the first common theme between sukkah and ulav? That the way in which they are linked to their physical reality and the impact they make on the physical reality is greater than in other mitzvahs. We'll still see, though, that in spite of that common connection, there's a great difference between them. But let's now go to the second point, which will help us understand this, the second common theme between them. Mavur b'chassidus, chassidus explains, Why are these the four species that were selected with which to fulfill the mitzvah of Lulav and Esrik? It's because each of these four species naturally represents the concept of unity, which is the next major theme of Sukkot and Lulav and Esrik. And Lulav has every one of its leaves compressed together, which is a concept of Achtos. That's why if it starts to spread open, it may no longer be kosher. The ideal hadasim are three leaves in one section, even overlapping each other ideally. We know that aravois grow in clumps. Unity. And specifically the esrik which survives all of the seasons, it stays on the tree from year to year. Which means that the esrik is able to bring together the four different seasons into a unified experience. So therefore, what is the message of the Dalad Minim? Yes, of course, there are species that could be used for a mitzvah. But specifically, the theme of the mitzvah is already apparent inside the physical, natural state of these four minim. Especially when you consider that the way the world is designed is that things generally separate from each other and they remain independent of each other. And achtos is not a natural state. So therefore, if you now discover that there's a part of the world, these four species, which buck the trend, and they go against the, the, the current, and they express unity, which is not the natural state of the world, that tells you that they are less materialistic than most things. Why would they be less materialistic? It's because inherent in these four species is a sense of bittel of complete submission to Hashem. It's not about me. What, why do we have separation in the world? Because each one is hanging on to themselves and saying, me, I count, and you threaten me. So what do you see when you, when you notice achtus in the world? A suspension of the sense of I. Submission to Hashem. Amazem moving. So therefore, in spite of the fact that any material that could ever be used for a mitzvah is obviously predestined, it's, pre, uh, it's pre- designed to suit a particular mitzvah, 
מקומוקם אין זה כמעט לסזיכוך, והואילו שבהבוא מינים אלו אומרים למצוות שלקחתם לכם. None of those is as clearly expressive of the concept of dedication or submission to Hashem like these four species. לפי שבזיכוך ואילו שבהם ניקר בגילה אין אנחדוס באופן אליאס מאשר בנברואים סתם. Because what you see here in לולף אסק, הדס אמי רובס, is a sense of unity beyond anything else that exists in the world. וזהו אחד העניינים שבהם נראה הן הצד השווה שבשתי מצוין על סוכה והבוא מין והן החילוק שביניהם. So here again we see a unifying element between סוכה ולולף, the theme of unity, but also a subtle difference between them. הצד השווה שבשתי המצוות הוא בזה שבשתי מורגשס, השייך של הדובר גשמי, הסכך ודפנס עסוק והבוסם והמינים לצבור סייסם בשעה המצוות. What do we see is the first unifying theme between them? Both the sukkah and the four minim express a unique connection to the physical world and their impact on the physical world. והחילק ביניהם הוא, but what's the difference between them? שהשייך הזה שכח הסוכה למצווה זה שיבה בסוכה היא על ידי הפעולה בדובר הגשמי על ידי קיום המצווה. When does שכח start to impact the physical sukkah to become something meaningful? When you do the mitzvah. If you make a sukkah and nobody ever uses it, there's no value, there's no mitzvah associated with it. ואילו השייכס של הבאסמינים למצווה שלקחתם לכם ממצד מעלוסים בטבעם שבסיבוסים ראויים למצווה. Whereas the four species already have value even before they're used, even before they're picked, even before they're designated. So a lulav on a tree, an esrog on a tree is already at a state of connection to, to Hashem, submission to Hashem, to the value of mitzvah. Fascinating, right? So they both share the common denominator of impacting the physical world in a unique way other, more than other mitzvahs, and yet there's a difference. The sukkah waits for the mitzvah to happen before it has that impact, and the dalad minim already start to have that impact immediately. And then there's another unifying yet subtly different element between both the sukkah and the dalad minim. What is that? Unity. The sukkah does not get into the nitty-gritty of who's what, where, how, the distinctions between people or elements. Why? The sukkah encompasses the entire human brain and feet equally. Not only that, we say in Mizoi, you can take Moshe Rabbeinu, you can take the janitor from the shul, put them into the same sukkah, and it accommodates them equally. And they share an equal universal experience of the sukkah to the extent that Gemara says the entire Jewish nation deserves to sit in a single sukkah. It doesn't see distinction. The sukkah is an all-encompassing reality which does not distinguish between one person and the next. What's the theme? Absolute unity. Now, the four minim also express the theme of unity. Number one, Each one of the four species, as we've illustrated, shows the concept, illustrates the concept of unity. Compressed leaves, clumps of leaves, being on the tree throughout the year. Secondly, how do you fulfill the mitzvah? We bring the four species together. And by bringing those four different species together, we had a single mitzvah, theme of unity. So both the sukkah and the dalad minim express the theme of unity. The truth though is, they express unity, but in different ways. 
The approach to unity represented by the sukkah is there was never distinction in the first place. There was only unity. Whereas the four minim are four. Four minim. That's separation. That's distinction. Firstly, there is the esrog is different to the lulav, is different to the hadas, is different to the arava. Plus, the esrog is different in winter to what to its experience in summer, etc. The dalat minim represents diversity coming into unity. So the sukkah is pristine unity, and the, the dalat minim diversity coming into unity. Now that we notice these two distinctions, firstly, the, the difference, how the sukkah impacts the physical world, but only once the mitzvah starts, whereas the unity of the, or, or the, the consciousness of God, the bitul to Hashem of the Dalminim is by them in nature. And secondly, now we're distinguishing between the, the modes of unity that they represent. So why are those differences? They're totally related. The way the sukkah impacts the world is related to the fact that it represents pristine unity. The way that the dalaminim impact the world is related to the fact that they are the unification of different pieces. As we mentioned, the natural state of the world is separation, conflict. Letter base, beracious. Right from the beginning, there's divergence. Now, how could it then be that some elements of our world express the concept of unity? Anything in the world that automatically represents and expresses unity is something that actually expresses godliness. That's where unity comes from. That's true unity. So now, with that in mind, let's look. The difference between unity as expressed in the sukkah, which is that's a, a unity that is greater than beyond the possibility of conflict. Compare that compare that to the kind of unity established and achieved through the four minim, which is the bundling together of different things into a unity. Is directly relevant to uh, di- directly relative to the type of godliness that the sukkah expresses and that the dalat minim express. The four minim which represent joining things into a sense of achdus, which means even once you've got the bundle, you could still see. Oh, that's a lulav. That's an esrog. That's a, I can tell the difference between them. That represents the concept of the world relinquishing its sense of self in submission to Hashem. I feel distinct from you, but we'll let go of that so we can do what Hashem wants, which is to unite. Whereas the unity, the pristine unity represented by the sukkah, which cannot conceive of the possibility of conflict because it's beyond conflict, Sukkah is where you see Eloikus expressed into the world. Dalet Minim is where the world lets go of itself to commit to Hashem. Sukkah represents godliness flowing into the world. 
That will help us to understand why what is unique about each form of achdus also helps us to understand what is unique about each form of impact onto the physical world. Seeing as the purpose of the four minim is to illustrate how the world can and should and does relinquish its sense of self in order to submit to Hashem. So therefore you have to see the impact of the mitzvah on the physical reality of the Dalit Minim. In other words, what is a lulav? A lulav is a statement, there's a God in the world. So at which point does a lulav begin to make that statement? From the moment it's a lulav. There's a God in the world. Therefore I represent unity right from the beginning. Even while it's still part of the world, not yet identified as a potential lulav to sell, it hasn't yet been blessed and used as a mitzvah. The fact that it's in the world as a lulav already shows the world can relinquish its sense of self. The world can be perfectly teed up to become a mitzvah. Because the theme of Dalaminim is the world as it is, the first to God. The message of the sukkah is the, almost the exact opposite. The purpose of a sukkah is to bring Hashem's oneness into the world. So where are you going to see the value of Hashem in the world? When you do a mitzvah to bring Hashem into the world. So when will it start to impact the physical and turn it into a tashmishay kedusha? It's an object of holiness when when the mitzvah happens, because that's when you're bringing godliness into the world. When you bring godliness into the world, you bring into the world the reality that godliness is beyond the limitations of the spiritual and of the physical. So look, godliness can even totally fill and redefine the reality of physical. The walls can become holy. Walls, they're physical things. That's exactly the point. When you bring the oneness of Hashem into the world, what do you see? Physical worlds, physical walls become holy. Nevertheless, and if you learned the Sicha with the Pashas Nitzavim, where the Rebbe spoke about the difference between Nitzavim Vayelech and Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, you're going to see a very similar theme over here too. It turns out that the unity established by the four minim is actually higher than the unity of the sukkah. Because where do you draw the capacity to be able to unite diverse elements? Where you can achieve a reality that that which is separated actually becomes one, where that which is detailed actually becomes unified. Where does that come from? That is the result of true, absolute oneness. Where the oneness is so intensely powerful that there is no distinction now between whether it looks like one or it doesn't. To use terms perhaps that we could relate to. So you look at a human being. 
If you look at a human being, you say there's the human. That's like the unifying factor. Then you can get into the details, the person's eyes, the person's mouth, different f- faculties that are associated with different parts of the person. And then you get to the achtos, the real achtos, which is called DNA. That's who you really are physically. And it's in every single part of the body. It doesn't distinguish between if this is the brain or if that's the toenail. It doesn't make a difference. The DNA will be equally found in all of those places. So absolute achtos is dafka detected in the diversity. When I talk about the pristine achtos the sukkah represents, that pristine achtos, by definition, because it is pristine, would be undermined or contradicted if there were to be conflict. That kind of achtos can only work, can only express itself how? By shunning the possibility of diversity. But when you talk about unity as it is in Hashem's essence, then that's a different story. That is the simplest form of achtos. It doesn't need any rules. It doesn't need any parameters. The fact that there may be diversity doesn't upset or contradict it. In fact, to the contrary, the possibility of so many diverse elements is testament to the fact that there is an absolute oneness that can allow all of this to exist and still yet at the same time be one. Many will actually see it in the physical manifestation of how Achtos works in these two scenarios. You'll see that there's a certain advantage to the four Minim over the Sukkah. The sukkah has this incredible sense of achdus, but only once the mitzvah begins, meaning it's not inherent, it is created. The achdus is made through the mitzvah. Which means there's a limit on how much achdus can be expressed. Whereas the four minim, which as we've already discussed, each one of them already expresses the theme of Achtos in its nature, even before it's assigned to a mitzvah. That's real Achtos. You see that real Achtos? I didn't have to wait for a mitzvah in order to express Hashem's oneness. Now that's all very well in principle. It's not how we see it. Because we don't see it that way, we need the two to work together. When I look at a lulav, I see a lulav and an esrog and hadassim and a ravos, and they're all tied together or held together. I don't see that there's an absolute achdos. I see that there's a manufactured achdos. And that appears to me, at least, to be a lower expression of oneness than the sukkah, which is this encompassing reality that everybody has taken along for the ride equally. So in order to illustrate to us how deep the achtos is, within the Lulavanesrit. In other words, the fact that these details can come into a single space is evidence to the fact that lying deep within them is the greatest kind of absolute unity. That expresses the truest type of Achtos. How do, how do I see that? 
to go through a two-step process. Step one, first create and experience a sukkah. That's why the sukkah mitzvah begins as the holiday starts in the evening. First express clear, pristine achdus. Then out of that, I can look at my lulav and esrog and see in the lulav and esrog the deepest form of achdus, not just the superficial four things being held together by two hands. The fact that it's a two-step process where we first establish pristine unity and then we discuss the concept of diversity becoming unity, that helps me to understand that the fact that this type of unity that has four different pieces to it, I now look at it through fresh eyes. Maybe before Sukkot, I had a look and I said to four different species, we're going to do a lovely thing over here. We're going to create unity. Once I've been through a Sukkot, it's introduced me to the principle that there is a real Achtos, an inherent Achtos that lies beneath the surface of diversity. That there is a light behind the screen that has little holes poked through. And that gives me the impression that there's different streams of light. It's actually one single light. Now I can see the real Achtos represented in the full meaning. And that's actually one of the reasons why ideally you should use the mitzvah of the Dalaminim inside a sukkah. Because when you're doing your Dalit Minim inside the Sukkah, you're effectively you're showing that this mitzvah of unity is achieved through or acknowledged through the great Achtos of the Sukkah. It helps us to reveal what we cannot necessarily see, but is actually there, the absolute unity that runs through all four of the minim. So now, using this principle, we'll understand what is also unique about the Kedusha of the day of Sukkot. Remember, our question right at the beginning was, why is the connection between the resting on the day of Sukkot and the Beis Amikdash? In order to understand that, let's understand what happens with the resting on the day of Sukkot. We've established that the sukkah represents an incredible, an incredible sense of achtos that is beyond the restrictions of physical or, or spiritual. Because the achtos is beyond the limitations of not only the spiritual but the physical as well, so therefore that achtos could flow right into the physical space and now the walls and the roof actually become holy. Right? The, the holy... The holiness of the sukkah filters into the actual structure. Now what makes each Yom Tov holy? What makes this day, which previously was going to be a Tuesday, and now is a holy day, what makes it holy? It's the Kedusha of the day that radiates into the physical date. So for Torah Shpir, we need to understand this. We already said before, why do we have a sukkah? Because Hashem put us in sukkahs when we were in the desert. What were those sukkahs that that surrounded us on all sides, which represents the spiritual energy called makif? Makif is beyond time and space, beyond being linked to a specific point on the calendar. So how, how does a holiday become holy? Because the energy of the day affects the day. How does a makif energy, which is beyond the concept of separating days, how does the makif energy of the sukkah turn this date on the calendar from a weekday into a yomtev?
As we already discussed, what does the sukkah represent? A tremendous achtus Hashem, which is beyond the limits of time and space, physical and spiritual. And therefore, therefore, in the same way as it's such a profoundly powerful type of energy that it could even turn the walls of your sukkah into kedusha elements and the schach of your sukkah for sure into kedusha elements, it could change the day on the calendar into a kedusha day. Just as it affects the sukkah, so it affects the date. Now, when you look at the day on the calendar, it's the 15th of the month. There are 11 other 15ths of the month, and they all look like the 15th of the month. The loike sukkah hagashmes aschach v'atfones, shegam begashmes arbivchines makif. When I look at a sukkah, the actual physical structure of a sukkah at least represents the, the energy of a sukkah. It's makif. Makif is something that surrounds you, just like the clouds surrounded the Jews in the desert. The sukkah surrounds our family when we sit in it. I don't see that on the calendar. I don't see something unique and different about the 15th of Tishrei that makes it look so profoundly different to the 15th of Elul. Besides which, when I make my sukkah, I have to intend to make it into a sukkah. So now when you're telling me that the date on the calendar becomes holy because of the power of the energy of sukkahs, through that I'm actually seeing the impact of the powerful energy of sukkahs even more so than I see it in the sukkah. Because in the sukkah I see, okay, at least it matches. Makif matches makif. So you can draw that energy across. When I see that the day is transformed from a regular Tuesday into a Yom Tov, that I'm seeing that something affects the world in an incredibly powerful way. There really are no limits. There really is no restriction of physical or spiritual to impede this holiness. But one thing we've already made very clear, the sukkah only becomes a holy place when the mitzvah is done. The day only becomes a holy day because the mitzvah influences the day to become a holy day. Then I'm still in the space that whatever power exists on this day and whatever unity exists on this day is beyond the possibility of conflict. What's happening is I've got this pristine unity that is so powerful that it can get past the limits of time, space, spiritual and physical and infiltrate into the space of the sukkah and into the time on the calendar. But as we already said, the achtos represented by an experience by the four minim. We already said, the achtos is already present before you do the mitzvah, before you even designate this particular fruit to become the esrog. It's embedded in their nature. In other words, the four minim are not superimposed with achtus, they are achtus. Therefore, that really reflects and expresses real unity and achtus as it should be. Now we can answer our questions.
We can now see the link between specifically the resting on Yom Tov and the Beis HaMikdash, not necessarily the Sukkah structure and the Beis HaMikdash. Why the Beis HaMikdash is a reward for resting on the first day of Sukkot rather than building a Sukkah. We'll also understand why the four Minim are directly related to Mashiach's name. What is so special about the Beis HaMikdash is the fact that this incredible elevated state of Hashem's throne that is exalted right from the beginning of time is not stuck in the Shamayim, but that great pristine holiness comes down into the physical space and that becomes the base A place that is of its own accord mundane is transformed to become holy. What, what links us up with that energy? Resting, celebrating the first day of Sukkot. What are we celebrating? Not only can we draw tremendous divine energy into the Sukkot we build, we can even draw it into the time that we live in. That's the theme of the Beis HaMikdash. Bring holiness into the most physical, materialistic reality. It's a day where Tuesday surrenders its identity and says, I'll become a Yom Tov instead. That's why it's specifically tethered to the first day of Yom Tov, because that's when you don't work. You don't engage with the mundane world. You surrender the mundane in favor of what Hashem wants. mikra as we say in, in Kiddush and in Davening. What does mikra Kodesh mean? We call and draw the holiness into the world. That's what the Beis HaMikdash is all about. That's what the Zman, the day of Sukkot, is all about. But as we've already identified, the implication is that there's something higher outside of our world that enters our world and transforms our world into a holy place. Yet, what's unique about the name of Mashiach, which is Menachem, comfort and consolation over the suffering of the Golos, what does it show us? Not to superimpose a great revelation onto the Golos in order that the Golos should now be aware of godliness, but to reveal how the Golos itself, in its nature from the very start, was an element of Menachem, of Simcha, of connection to Hashem. The revelation, the appreciation of the fact that Golos is goodness. Ultimate goodness. To the extent that we thank Hashem for Godus. That's like the Dalit Minim, where you see that the Kedusha is in the Minim. That's not something you're going to experience through the celebration and joy of Sukkos. But through the four Minim, because what is the theme and message of the Dalai Minim? That the physical world represents godliness. What is the theme of Moshiach? That the physical Golos represents the ultimate purpose. It's Hashem, we should be Zoiche, to see that.
that Nechama and to see the Gidoi of the Beis HaMikdash and to celebrate Simchas Beis HaSha'eva together in Yerushalayim with Moshiach.